What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life Be real! He's so far away. Doesn't anybody pod in one place anymore? Last time on Be Real, we recorded together. Uh, but Noah Boward's wearing his Movie Madness t-shirt, so he took a piece of Portland with him. We're excited to be back in the saddle. I'm Chance. He's Noah. Noah, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I have to say, I agree that it's not as fulfilling being 3,000 miles away from you. It was more fun, yet more, I would say, intimidating to like just be holding this microphone, staring into like the, your your dead, cold eyes, like a doll's eyes. <laughs> yeah, I feel like now that we're apart, we might have timing problems we're thrilled as always for be real to come to you via the playlist podcast network check out our fellow shows like and subscribe and thanks as always to the california college of the arts writing mfa program for generously sponsoring the show we have a cracker jack offering for you here today cracker jack <laughs> that seems like the appropriate kind of throwback whimsy for a hollywood that would make movies like this right um, we're talking about movies where the protagonists are kids who straight up age overnight, leading to uh, fish out of water comedies of a medium order. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about Big, the 19, 1988 uh, Tom Hanks Penny Marshall film. We're going to talk about 13 Going on 30, which is a 2004 rom com with Jennifer Garner. And we're going to talk about the new DC. Uh, cinematic universe film shazam that's our topical hook but i think we're going to discuss it last is that what you wanted to do i think one needs to pay homage to big before one would ever (laughs) even consider talking about either 13 going on 30 or shazam yeah one must walk before one transforms into an adult that's right lest one be caught wearing your dad's suit walking down the sidewalk at the end (laughs) Let's see if we can continue this these hypothetical, uh, terrible passive voice sentences. <laughs> I bet we uh, can. No, let's talk about the movie Big. Unless, is there anything else we have to say? How are you? You looking well? I'm good. Uh, just overcame a 10-day cold that Oof. began the moment I left the West Coast. Right. Your body fucking gave up. Yeah, so sorry for anyone whose emails I haven't returned or calls i haven't whatever and uh i've, I've been down i've been down can't imagine count. what place you've come to in your life where you're like i'm gonna listen to this guy's podcast to see if he like, gives any reasonable explanation for why he has an email back i'm sure there are at least three people listening they for could, whom that is the case <laughs> it could be half our listenership it's just people trying to track you down right <laughs> well Maybe chance yeah. said he's back in brooklyn <laughs> and what they probably recorded this what three days earlier right well, I'm well. Thanks for asking. Portland won game one of its NBA playoff series. My dad's in town. Sarah's making a cake for the Game of Thrones premiere. I'm I'm in great spirits. 
She's poisoning the cake, you know. Oh, really? Well, that's the Game Trying of Thrones one joke. Of purple Joffrey deaths. Oh yeah, where your well, eyes like turn purple and pop out of your head. I'm either getting a purple death or I'm gonna eat my son. That's the last two times I've seen pastries on yeah. that show. <laughs> or Dig Dug's just like actually Sarah's your sister. Oh, great. <laughs> Well, she can also perform some therapy on me. Um, let's talk about the movie Big. I would love nothing more. You've seen this movie before, yes? Oh my god. I have to say that this is maybe one of my all-time favorite movies. Really? That's nice. I had not seen it in a while, and I was worried, if I'm going to be honest with you, that like it was going to be schmaltzy or didn't age well in some way, or like I'd see something that would be creepy and... like leave me disturbed about this movie that I cherished for so long. But I can report, yeah. I don't think that really happens. Right, yeah, one can imagine with years removed just from this premise that it could go terribly wrong when adult bodies with child minds start interacting with adult bodies with adult minds. But yeah, we can we can say out front that I, I, I think this movie handles it pretty tactfully for the most part. In a movie where a 13-year-old sleeps with a 35-year-old... It definitely, like, it doesn't make a point about that. Carries it off. Um, it, it pulls it off gloriously. So this is probably uh, right there among Penny Marshall's best movies with League of Their Own. Um, it definitely has a League of Their Ownness to it, where it's like, is this based on a true story? <laughs> that was not my reaction. What part of that are you getting from this film? Maybe, like, there was... I was talking to Lucy, my girlfriend, with whom I'm in a long-term monogamous uh, cohabitating relationship. Yeah. Um, if you say girlfriend and, before, you don't have to say all that stuff, remember? But I was playing out uh, what this... Like, what the movie would have looked like had it continued. Because, obviously, if this was, like, in a world where the media exists, like, it would be a big story that this kid who was kidnapped for six oh. weeks at least uh-huh. like comes back and then wouldn't the people at mcmillan toys think like it's kind of weird that this guy walked out of this meeting and then this kid named josh baskin turned up and anyway an eight episode 1988 <laughs> yeah we should just do big <laughs> right in their 120th episode they decided that big was where they wanted to stick uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah 1988 big doesn't everyone know the story of big yeah, totally. Uh, kids uh, at the kid carnival. wants to get on a roller coaster to right. impress a girl. Can't do it. Goes to a an arcade machine called the Zoltar. Right. Uh, puts in a quarter. Wishes to be big. And then this fucking thing eats his quarter and pops out a little card that says your wish is granted. And not twelve hours later, he's a young virile Tom Hanks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and sort of a, what what do we want to call this? Just like a barely pre-prime Tom Hanks? Splash is four years I would earlier. argue this is prime Hanks. You think this so? This is the kind of performance that, that's the reason we feel the way about Tom Hanks. This is do. like you're excited to see him on SNL yet, but he hasn't won any Oscars, Hanks. He hasn't quite shifted into prestige, but this is the kind of Hollywood fare that like people will think of when they think, oh, Tom Hanks in like a goofy comedy? Like... Maybe I'd we listen- put him with a dog. I listen to <laughs> that's a hooch reference, of course. Um, I I would listen to an argument for this being like peak likability. 
maybe it's more of his like cotillion coming out kind of likability because uh. this is a big this movie was a success i mean i even own this movie on dvd for christ's sake my parents have seen this movie i would say sure five or ten times mm-hmm. for 1988 that was the year i was born two great things came out in 1988 <laughs> noah daniel ballard and tom hanks in big I wish I were big. Sweetheart, it's 7.30, are you up? Josh! 20th Century Fox presents... Tom Hanks. Big. I turned into a grown-up, Mom. I made this wish on a machine, and it turned me into a grown-up. So now what? You get a job. Cannot get a job. Yeah, so I think the most amazing thing, because I hadn't seen this movie, I don't think I'd ever seen it all the way through and hadn't experienced any of it since I was a little kid. The things that stop it from going wrong, as, like we said, as, you know, 30-year-old Josh with a 12-year-old mind, um, like, enters a relationship with a woman and gets a job at a toy company and all these different things are just, like, unbelievable precision and earnestness of performance from Hanks and the fact that Penny Marshall much like in a league of their own is incredible in these movies that are like true, like grade a entertainment, but also have like some real emotional intelligence to them, I think is my big takeaway. Yeah. And I think all these movies hang in that lead performer, you know, whether where one falls in the balance beam of how unaware am I? Like, oh my God, I'm an adult. Like, what do I do? Right. And then all of these movies then posit by the climax that because they are a child and whatever kind of child they are, that uniquely positions them to succeed in an otherwise adult role. So like getting from A to B, like some people play it a little schlockier than others. I think Tom Hanks has that like perfect balance of like by the end of this six week thing, like he's a totally acclimated adult. Hmm. You see like a a true arc of he's really only upset about his state of being for thirty six to forty eight hours. And then he just, as an adult would, takes that trauma and puts it in as like just lingering low level sadness and acclimates to the role he's sort of accidentally fallen into, which is yes, a a VP at this like toy conglomerate. And then he basically predicts the iPad being invented, and then he goes back (laughs) to being a kid. Right. Um, And, of course, it's because he's a kid that he's so good at, like, walking into this toy company where where Robert Loggia, the CEO, is, like, or president of the company, whatever, is like, well, John Hurd, will you stop telling me about our goddamn quarterly reports? We're a toy company. So he takes very kindly to Josh Baskin being like, who would ever want a building that t- turned into a robot? Like that's not a toy kids would like. And Robert Lewis right. is like, we need to we need to promote this guy who just answers the phones and does data entry now. Right, and he's worked here for three days. Right, but the, of course there is that iconic classic Hollywood scene of him, Tom Hanks, and Logia playing the piano in F.A.O. Schwartz. Works with great. Their feet. Still works. It's amazingly. one of the finest. It's a long sequence. I yeah. forgot like how long it was. It's not like a quick montage. They do chopsticks too. And that's almost like the longer, 
you know, more elaborate sort of leaping from one end of the piano to the other kind of acrobatics. But it's a fabulous scene. But it also plays into this movie's conception of like corporate New York life, which is like as long as you're like goofy and eccentric and have like a vision for something and predict something else. Yeah. Like we're going to give you a, a huge salary. Right. And really not any oversight. Sure. Um, and so for, yeah, for Hanks, it's developing this, what? It's a comic book that becomes, it's sort of like a choose your own adventure exactly. thing. It's a comic book with a computer chip in it. We haven't yeah. seen prototypes, just a couple of uh, <laughs> hand-drawn slides. Can I point out a scene that kind of shows just the level of care that goes into this movie on Penny Marshall's Please. part? So uh, Josh's mom thinks he's been kidnapped because shortly after big Josh goes to the fairground to see, can I find the Zoltar machine? He does what any kid would do and runs back into the house. And it's just like, mom, can you help me? And she's like, Jesus Christ, what the hell is this like man wearing my husband's clothes doing in here? Get out. What have you done with my son? He and his little buddy, Billy Capecchi, um, kind of see no other option, but to make it seem like a ransom has taken place. So big Josh. Well, not even a ransom, just like a kidnapping. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. There's no demands. They're just like, no, well, he's fine. He'll be back soon. <laughs> um, but he calls from the office, right? And the mom's like, "You have to let me know that he's alive." And he says, "Well, okay, tell me something that only Josh would know." And the mom is like, "What is the song I sang to him when I was a little kid?" And so Josh starts singing memories in this really kind of like. like bored way like he's embarrassed he's embarrassed to have to sing this song that maybe his mom sang him from musical theater like four years previous the mom is breaking down because she thinks a (laughs) madman is like (laughs) detachedly singing this song and then over his shoulder john lovitz his co-worker in the next cubicle is like what the fuck is going on but you have three totally parallel people like playing this moment for everything it's worth that's the kind of just like human complexity and directorial specificity that doesn't exist in the other films. Memories Like a corner of my mind Misty water called her memories Of the way we were <laughs> Scattered pictures And let's talk about Elizabeth Perkins. Sure, yeah, absolutely. I think she's great in this. She's wonderful. This is the other thing that the movie does, which is surprisingly ambitious. And I'm, I can't tell if it's like where the movie like starts to lose me or whether it should gain even more points is because it's like a Penny Marshall movie. And she's interested in these like stories of women and especially professional women and what feminism means in the late 80s. She like really earnestly starts to invest in this exploration of like, well, how... How good of a thing is a fairly fulfilling, genuine sexual relationship with a man who is a child in his mind? Um, right. And what does that mean for well, Susan? Well, that's my question to you is that do you think that implication is by having them like make out and him touch her, her bra, her brassiered breast? Yes. Do you think that implies that they had sex? Oh, 100%. The, you think that they had intercourse? 
Well, yeah, because he comes into work the next day. Right, and he's just like, what's up? And he like high fives the post office guy. It's great. And then later on. Maybe that's just he like made out with a girl. Because I was thinking about it, like if he's 13, it's conceivable that he's just never had an intimate moment with a woman. And maybe the bigger read on the movie is that Elizabeth Perkins' character is simply looking for a fulfilling friendship with someone outside of her comfort zone. Because there's an interesting exchange she has with the dad from Home Alone when she when he accuses her of sleeping with like every male character we've seen so far. Yeah. And she goes, no, that's not what this is. Like, he's just not the new guy. There's something else about him, which is either a child predator read or it's a more of a read of like, this dude is a harmless, non, like asexual sort of, you know. I mean, I don't think the implication is that young Josh has even gone through puberty yet. Right. I mean, he's attracted to, to girls because there's some sort of like social contract in his suburban new jersey town but he doesn't like have sexual fantasies and then him and his his friend don't even talk about that so i think maybe that's the read that could be i definitely but, assumed... but you think this 35 year old and this 13 <laughs> year old have sex well yeah i well i mean also there's the body language in the other scene where they like almost break up and then he kind of whacks her playfully with the paper and then they like get into a get into a real pose on the floor that made me think that they did it even again but i don't my i don't the movie handles it well enough that i don't immediately go to like some sort of uh you know statutory rape narrative i think it's just like a really kind of murky like what does this mean to elizabeth perkins well if anything it sort of analyzes the fact that she just has trouble being clear about what she wants like there's that scene with the prominent pizza hut advertising in the foreground where she's like what are we like is this just an affair and like tom hanks as a 13 year old boy has like no context to answer her complicated adult question yeah so finally she just sort of has to word vomit how do you feel about me and then they get into this like very i would say i don't know sort of boyish tussle you know, mm-hmm. what I imagine our former English professor R.D. Stock <laughs> to do with his cats. Uh-huh. But then it becomes they the like make pleaser. out and that's what leads to the ending of this this movie. So he has like one, they have one final bang and then he's out. One thing I want to bring up before we, uh, before we pivot here, and I had never thought about this. I'm not sure that Forrest Gump exists without this movie. Because in some ways, it's a very similar being there style dynamic, which is you put this guy in front of people in an important or relatively important places who becomes like a cipher for what they want to hear, right? And he's just like spinning some kind of, you know, juvenile axioms. Like, what's going on? And everyone thinks he's like, he's got it all figured out. Um, which is like a dynamic that is ramped up to a thousand in Forrest Gump. But like, I think you could watch, I think Zemeckis could watch this movie and be like, oh, uh, Hanks would actually be perfect for me in seven years. Yeah, there's that savant thing. Right. Yeah. So should we tell people how we rate movies on the show and then rate big? Please. So we got four ratings. Are we doing it live? Yeah. We're doing it. Remember? Yeah, you're right. So we're explaining these live now. We got four ratings on this show. 
good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first word refers to like intellectual cinematic quality. The second one is more subjective. It's just like, did you like that? Would you rewatch it? What's the entertainment value? Um, so a good, good movie is like a favorite of ours, like Jaws. A bad, bad movie is just a movie that we patently do not like. Uh, a good, bad would be like Schindler's List or Requiem for a Dream. Very well-respected movie that's not very watchable. And bad, good would be like some trash you really enjoy. I'm afraid to watch uh, Roma because I feel like it'll be like really good, bad. Oh, it's extremely good, bad. Anything um, by the guy who did Beasts of No Nation. Isn't he doing? Isn't he doing the new James Bond movie? You're right. He is. I bet that's going to be good, bad, or maybe just bad, bad. It might. Who knows? Um, I think big is an easy good, good. I totally agree with you. I think this is one of the better movies that there is in the world. Wow. I think it's great. I think it has a really good script. I think it's really well directed amazing performances cinematography by a young barry sonnenfeld that's right um was there anything in here that made you think that guy's gonna direct men in black well there's the song sample when they're like hanging out of the song that will smith will then use to create the men in black theme oh my goodness you didn't think i thought about that immediately i was like did sonnenfeld who probably had nothing to do with the sound cue listen to that when they're hanging out it's it's the um montage where she's jumping up and down on the the trampoline in his uh, soho loft yeah Yeah, this movie's good we didn't even talk about i had completely forgotten about where uh hanks is staying in the cd hotel and just like cries holy shit it's so upsetting it's it's very good yeah, it's, it's, but it's, it's a, a great early like emotional anchor for this movie to show what the stakes are for him, and then it just like rolls from there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I just thought the one of the best lines ever, just in cinema history, is of course, like this place looks good, right? And Tom Hanks, is like, what are you talking about? It's like St. James. It's religious. <laughs> That's really good. I have Excellent. to say that every time. I've like stayed in a shitty hotel or motel with my family or even if my dad will just see like something like similar to St. James or something in a hotel. He'll be like, that place looks nice. It's religious. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do a quick word from our sponsor and then move on to 13 going on 30. This podcast is brought to you by California College of the Arts MFA and writing program. Getting an MFA at their art school setting in San Francisco means that you can write and paint, write and design, and write and make a film. You can also write and write. Look for their MFA faculty member Tom Barbash's novel, The Dakota Winters, out from Echo. And their alum, Adam Nemet, and podcast favorites, We Can Save Us All, out now from Unnamed Press. For more information, open an internet browser and type in www.cca.edu slash writing MFA. Jenna Rink couldn't grow up fast enough. Smile, sweetie. Don't you knock? Are you wearing a bra? You're not ready Dad, for stop a bra. taping! So on her 13th birthday, Dad. check this out. Wishing dust. She only made one wish. I hate being 13. I just want to be grown up. And she woke up 17 years later. 
Okay, so this came out in 2004. I like what Wikipedia. a time to be alive it was. It wasn't. I, I was, and it wasn't great. Um, movies I, like 13 and going on 30 were coming out. Yeah, John Kerry was about to lose. It was a great time. <laughs> um, I like what Wikipedia has to say. This is an American fantasy romantic comedy. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely in the school of uh, girl uh, ghosts of girlfriends past, which I just watched <laughs> on HBO. I don't think they mean to use American quite that way, but uh, it's a heavy adjective here. It, um, it looms large. <laughs> yes. I think they're just talking about nation of origin, not cultural right. influence. But this is an American fantasy romantic comedy. Um, it's directed by a man I'm unfamiliar with named Gary Winnick. And this movie feels like it was directed by a man named Gary Winnick. Uh, it stars Jennifer Garner uh, as Jenna Rink. She yeah, is a, that's right. She's a teen. In uh, in the eighties, what is it, eighty seven? And she's just about to have her her thirteenth birthday party, and oh yeah, and, and her best bud, the very uncool Maddie, um, is coming, and he wants to listen to Talking Heads and just pal around in a platonic way. But of course, uh, Jenna feels the need to impress uh, the cool girls at uh, school with their top knots and their exercise outfits and whatnot. And she invites them over, and the, they treat her pretty poorly at the party, and eventually uh, lock her in the closet under the illusion of playing spin the bottle with some hot blonde guy from school. Um, then they all leave, stealing the food. Maddie comes back, uh, thinks that she's in the closet for him, because one of the girls says that. Uh, they smooch. Jenna gets really, really pissed, throws at him this like dollhouse that's like personalized for her whole life it was a very thoughtful very crafty gift um basically well we find out later that this kind of ends their relationship but cr- i'm missing a critical detail where uh where fairy dust sprinkles out of the dollhouse yeah he has this like he got at party city this little like uh, <laughs> right. adhesive package of like fairy dust that he's right. put on Jenna's dream house. Yes. It's supposed to be like a Barbie dream house, but it's got like Jenna's favorite thing. And he like learned how to wire a battery in a little light bulb. So he's like, he's, he's inserted electric in this thing. It's a whole production. It's true. It's and true. it took him weeks, he says. Um, but it also acts as this catalyst for being like, I mean, and in young Jenna Rink's defense, like a pretty goofy thing to like give someone for their 13th birthday like here's a weirdly large diorama that i made of like me imagining you in the tub like give me a break and (laughs) she appropriately reacts as though this is strange and like doesn't keep up that weird uh whatever anyway but yes the aforementioned fairy dust uh, when it's falling on her, she says, I wish I were, like, cool. Uh, or I to, wish I was 30, because she's 30 been re- flirty, and thriving. She's a devotee of uh, Poise magazine, which is, which the magazine should be called Pose, right? It's a fashion magazine. Why is it called Poise? Anyway. I don't know. But it's supposed to be, like, Seventeen or Us Weekly or... But Whatever. she's recently been reading an article called uh, 30 Flirty 30 and Flirty and Thriving. So she wishes for all of those things and lo before the tears are even dry she kind of like just falls face first into the closet yeah and wakes up as jennifer garner at the height of her career in the year 2004 in the year 2004 so 
let me let's make a quick distinction here because this movie is definitely one of these I aged overnight movies, but it's also like a time travel glimpse Christmas Carol style movie. Um, and a lot of it's the, more family man than it is. Uh, yes. Yeah, it definitely has a family madness to it. But at the same time, there's no like person guiding her through or anything. No, no, so no. I think it is still a jump in. But like it, it, yeah, what happened was she just like this spell set up for her a path that would lead her in 17 years to be 30, flirty and thriving. By virtue of the fact that you know, on some timeline, her life has actually played out. When she arrives there magically, the comedy is less big style and actually more like overboard or something. It's more like an amnesia comedy. Like, who am I? What did I do? Am I right. am, am I am I a bad person? What is what did what did I do before? What was my life like? Right, because she has this context she doesn't understand, whereas Tom Hanks was like a total outsider who just fell ass backwards into money and power. Right. Uh the this woman has worked conceivably for all of her adult life right. to become the editor of this ma- fashion magazine, this mediocre fashion magazine. And thus, as an audience, we are plunged into a Hollywoodified version of magazine publishing in the way that toy production is similarly lampooned and misrepresented in toy and uh, big. Yeah. And so I think the only things we really have to get out of the way in the new world before we start diving in deeper is that uh judy greer plays lucy who is her co-editor at poise but that's also the same girl who was the leader who treated her so badly at the party um and then of course one of the first things she does having no idea what's going on in her 30 year old world is is track down maddie who's played by mark ruffalo on the present timeline and is a photographer and you can tell because he has a blue velvet poster on his wall (laughs) Yeah, he's got a picture of a taxi driver up. He's a photographer. Yep. He doesn't seem to ever work except for in the scenes where he works uh, and creates some really goofy looking. Can we t- let's t- okay? We'll talk about like the things she comes up with in a second. Yeah. But Mark Ruffalo has, of course, become like this sad young literary guy who. And really, and the moment he was so sad that was when Jennifer Garner, as a 13-year-old, threw back his fucking uh, castle, dream house at him. And then he's like, well, the next beautiful woman I see who I have no feelings for, I'm just going to marry because Jennifer Garner hurt me 17 years ago. That's what hurt people do. And I'll never love again. Um, so I had seen, have you seen this movie before? I had years and I think I saw it like either when it came out or like on TV slightly after. Me too. I definitely watched it. I definitely thought it was kind of like middling, but pretty good. Very of the time. <laughs> romantic. <Middling. laughs> but, it but, is very middling. But I definitely like, you know, put it in that kind of around the notebook, like that whole wave of mid-aughts rom-coms where I was like, well, that's no pretty woman, but it's like, it's what we had. Um, in retrospect, this movie is like ludicrous. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't make a lick of sense. No. And uh, it, it, starting with I, maybe one of the things that don't make no sense is <laughs> Jennifer Garner's performance. Well, this is 
this movie, like I was saying, it hangs on that thing of like how much of a savant they're going to be as they slowly assimilate to their worlds. Right. Whereas like Tom Hanks, like is a true player six weeks in, like has caught up for 17 years of miseducation and socialization and is thriving. And actually, like Jennifer Garner's about to lose her job. Yes, true. And even if she manages to save Poise magazine in 2004 by like reverting to some sort of like make America great again kind of uh, high school yearbook montage, she's going to get laid off in 2008 anyway when the magazine industry comes to a grinding halt and ceases to exist as we know it. 34 and poor should have been what uh, young Jenna wished for. Garner makes a very strange choice, I think, for the first like 40 minutes of the transformation. She whispers and continues to try to speak in the voice of a little girl, which I think unfortunately like violates one of the cardinal rules of this like genre which is that like you're physiologically physiologically changed like you have an adult voice okay so you use it um that tom hanks does it zachary levi does it and it becomes really weird because it's also something she quits on one of the things i couldn't remember about this movie was whether uh jenna even had a 13 year old brain after she traveled forward in time. And I think the reason I forgot is because the movie also kind of forgets. Well, that's the thing. Like it doesn't decide between is this movie, does the movie have like this matrix kind of thing where you like, you know, just plug in the last 17 years cartridge into your brain and you like have all that info. Like I thought, I think that makes a more interesting choice where like you not only have all these memories and stuff and can do this thing, and it's weird that you know how to do it. But also you're like looking back with this like very sort of condensed jump as if they were a kid. But then like the ending of the movie is kind of ruined because like the whole sort of at least career arc storyline for Jennifer Garner is based on this like corporate espionage she's right. been doing, which she can't know about until the end where it's – I mean this is sort of the memento of uh, – rom-coms of little people becoming older people by the time she is successfully laying out the redesign for poise magazine it's like well that's not the same as being a kid who's like what if we were the coolest toy i ever wanted to play with it's like how are you how are you able to redesign a magazine and the movie convincing you the viewer that jennifer garner's child has fundamentally reinvented like what a magazine could mean by putting together these a yearbook three yeah these three yearbook pages with these like not very impressive black and white photos <laughs> right that we've seen montage after montage of uh mark ruffalo having like a grand old time taking and then you, this is it, it's not the way tom hanks invents the ipad like no. that shows a little bit of prescience you know like what do kids do they just want to choose things and press buttons and whatever right this movie like i guess like does not see the forest for the trees of like what magazines mean and like there was no one even copy it was just photos <laughs> like w- w- what are these people buying and by the end Jennifer Garner is like delivering like pretty earnest adult complex rom-com speeches akin to like I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her 
has have this has this movie forgotten that she is 13 in the way that every Hanks Perkins interactions has this kind of weird layer of two people who seemingly do fulfill each other at this bizarre moment in both their lives but can't quite connect in the way either one wants Jennifer Garner is just being an adult it's weird well this movie has the really bizarre hole of like it climaxes with them being together, but like they decide to be together at 13 and then for some reason, then live out the next 17 years and at 30 for some weird thing that Mark Ruffalo's not in on. Cause he's like not aware of the timeline in which they weren't together is like, that's that's when he wants to get married. Like why wouldn't they just get married at 18, you know, or any time leading up to when they're adults again. It doesn't make a lick of sense. You know what would be like a rip-roaring, weird, transgressive movie that would never get made? Is if you could convent, condense 13 going on 30 into like 20 minutes, and then you have this weird plot line where they do live it out, and she knows, and he doesn't, and they like still fail. And it's like like crazy or something. I mean, it's a weird, yeah. sad movie. I mean, that's sort of like... Why I think uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is so good. There you go. Because you have that sort of cyclical... That movie does exist. That movie does exist, uh, thankfully. That's a great movie. Mm -hmm. What do we think about Andy Serkis in this role? (laughs) Where, I mean, I thought that dude just put, you know, little stickers on himself and, like, pretended to be monkeys and things. Well, that the thing is, his best moment in the movie is where he begins to dance to Thriller in a way that is so committed um, that there's no way the production needed that from him. But like, he's a good physical actor when he's just he's like a great physical actor walking around mincing, being like, "Where are my pages?" It's like, "Holy shit, please stop!" I think it's funny in this the way that they rely on that thriller sequence to stand in for the piano sequence from yes big like it has this musical number in it where Jennifer Garner doesn't even do that good of a thriller dance she really doesn't and somehow with her weird connection to Mark Ruffalo can you imagine <laughs> if somebody from your childhood like came out of the woodwork at your age now or approximately my age now was just like hey i know that we haven't talked since like we were bar mitzvah age but like could you do a choreographed dance with me do you want to hang out and like have our lives be dependent on each other in perpetuity oh i see if not then i'm just gonna go back to when we were kids and fucking change everything the problem though is that you're 30 and you're not flirty otherwise you would say yes to such a thing yeah just 30 and thriving I when the fairy dust fell on me, I I specifically requested not flirty. Two out of three ain't bad. Um, Just thirty. Right. <laughs> um, do you yeah, think weird. Jennifer Garner is like a first class like project carrying actress of this sort? It sounds like you don't. I really don't. And I was looking, and of course, as I was watching this with the woman with whom I'm in a monogamous long term relationship, I was like, "What's Jennifer Garner?" Who's that, Sarah? Yeah. Uh, what's Jennifer Garner's best performance? And we were like, Juno? She goes really quickly into playing moms after this, which says as much about Hollywood's casting limitations, of course, as it says about Jennifer Garner. But she went from being like a, a like a bit player in things like Dude, Where's My Car? to exploding on Alias to getting... This is kind of like her first starring vehicle. Um her it's not a super rich filmography and i you no. know jen's not 
the most versatile. No. She no. seems super nice, though. Can I tell you when I knew that this movie was just, like, not bad, with bad. it? <laughs> well, there, there's an early spoiler, but not with it. Tell so me. So there's a part where her boyfriend, who plays for the New York Rangers... He's uh, not the best New York Ranger, but he's the New York Ranger with the best ass. That's right. Um, Samuel Ball is the actor, for all we would know him from. <laughs> okay. Uh, um... And he begins to do what we are supposed to surmise is her favorite striptease to Ice Ice Baby. Am I right? Right. But this movie, and I could not believe it screwed this up, misses, it misses so many opportunities to do uh, year comedy from 87 right. to 2004. Her... She should say, isn't this under pressure? Because it's like a sample Right, her uh, cultural lexicon would only be from the '80s, so that would be hilarious to be like, "Oh, what a this is a song from my era," and people would be like, "What?" I mean, the thriller thing is the perfect, albeit jumbled, play at that. Yeah, I, I think a braver and a funnier and a smarter movie makes her not be like "Make America Great Again" high school yearbook being her aesthetic that she pushes on this magazine that needs yeah. this facelift. Yep. I think it should just be like hyper 80s culture because she wears like things that are super fashionable in the 80s and no one really even comments on these like cow print chopsticks coming out of her head. <laughs> right, right. So why not make the movie about the clear choices that she's making because she's having this fashion renaissance accidentally? I like that revision. I like that revision a lot. Uh yeah, so this movie is uh it's not like unwatchable, but actually It's ha- definitely not unwatchable. But having but like s- but it's, it's so a bad stupid. Bad. It's so stupid. And Mark Ruffalo's so wasted in this. Right. You know, and Mark Ruffalo's not a good casting choice for your like romantic leading man, I don't think. I think he's a little too self aware to be asked to slum it like this. Cause he knows he's like, don't he's you know that in three years care. I'm going to be tracking down uh, the Zodiac killer with no success? Yeah. Careful, Dirty Harry. So, sorry, 13 going on 30. It's a bad, bad from us. It's a bad, bad. Okay. Are we talking about Shazam now? Shazam. But did you know that Shazam was the original Captain Marvel? I did upon cursory research. Well, the, when I was at the Alamo Draft House today, if you go there early, they like give you context. So one, I thought it was funny that they like ironically played the theatrical trailer for Big because they like knew what genre we were doing this week. Right. Look at you go, Brooklyn Alamo Draft House. All right. Um, but the other thing was they played this little documentary about like the history of Captain Marvel and how Captain Marvel eventually becomes Shazam. So this is the seventh movie in this new spate of uh, DCU films. It's directed by David Sandberg, who made two movies I'd heard of but have not seen. Uh, the horror movie Lights Out and then one of the Annabelle movies. Um, but this is definitely the biggest thing he'd ever worked on. I, I really miss the visually, uh, visual aesthetic of uh, Zack Snyder, I think, the most when I see a DC movie not directed by him. You thought that this would be appropriate for that aesthetic? Yeah, I wanted the weirdest angles possible of <laughs> Zachary Levi kind of being his character from Chuck again, except this time in a costume. 
crazy, right? What are your superpowers? Superpowers, dude? I don't even know how to pee in this thing. This is proof of authenticity. Super strength. Electricity manipulation. Hyperspeed. I'd like to purchase some of your finest beer, please. The reason that this movie fits the genre is that a, a 13-year-old runaway, repeat runaway foster kid named Billy Batson is sucked into a world that, like, I'm not going to be able to explain, but also the movie can't really explain it, where Jimon Hunsu is, like, alone in a, in a netherworld temple, staring at gargoyles representing the seven deadly sins, and he's like, I'm the last of my wizarding kind. I need a champion. Um, and <laughs> it's, it's his lone goal, and he is hell bent on finding this champion. So much so that he like pulls out anyone he can find, seemingly mostly young men, some like Asian women in their twenties. Right, like it. It seems to be anyone, anyone to see if they'll be his champion. And not only does he not do that initially, but in 1979 or whatever. He creates a supervillain by telling him he's a piece of shit in the middle of this car accident <laughs> that's happening that paralyzes his father. Right. So you, this is basically Garden State. If the reason <laughs> that the reason that the mother was handicapped was because of Zach Braff being bought to the same set as the third Indiana Jones movie, but this time. It's, yeah, it's Jimon Hansu waving this glowing stick around. Right. <laughs> He's sitting alone. He literally the is like the last lunch, night. man. Well, this is almost like the idiot's version of you have to pick the chalice test. Right. It's like either pick the stick or pick the glowing eye. Yes. And everyone's like... I think I'm going I with glowing. Go- and there, she's like, no. Like, what do you do? He chose poorly. Oh, my God. It's a yes or no question. And everyone so far has gotten it wrong. And he is getting weary. They will not grab his staff as he commands them to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll, we can unpack how drawn out that universe is in a little bit. But it, uh, Billy Batson... After moving in with this new family, who seems like this great family in Philly, um, and becoming best friends with one of the kids who stars in It. What's that kid's name? The real talkative one. Jack Dylan Grazer? Freddie Freeman? You, but it doesn't matter to Billy how, how well this is going. His mom abandoned him at a carnival. So many carnivals in these in these movies. Carnivals um, loom large. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's almost like... Do you feel like the... Us is also a commentary on, like, Us plays into the big universe. I couldn't help but thinking, like, that Us and Big have a lot in common. Well, because they wander to the edge of the carnival, and the shadow, the shadows outside of that confectionery setting But these are, are also so kind of shadow world movies. Totally. Where it's like, in some universe, like, Jennifer Garner had to continue being 30 without the magic. That's right. So what was I saying... He become Billy Batson becomes uh, Shazam. He becomes he becomes the hero. He becomes Zachary Levi, uh, big buff Chuck, 
um, with a suit that makes him even bigger and buffer. And he uh, he goes around and does all the things that uh, a grown a thirteen year old boy who suddenly was a grown man would do if he thought he had superpowers, which is like try to punch things, try to fly, try to shoot lightning, go to some strip clubs, buy some beer. Um, you know, those hijinks ensue. But then, of course, this movie also has to stick to what I find to be pure tedium, a superhero movie formula in which he must fight Mark Strong and seven gargoyles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mark Strong and the is gargoyles the- look a bit like um, they're out of a movie directed by Steven Summers, don't they? They do. Yes. This is something they dusted off like the underlying code for the the guys from the the mummy right going right. around with the, the mummies with their sticks so mark strong's the one that you mentioned earlier dr sivana the guy who's was in that car and was looking at his magic eight ball yeah because this movie has to as chance said do that superhero movie thing and give them an enemy didn't you find like the prologue was like huh oh it was so much huh and the only thing it really lines up with is that like weird scene, that Batman-esque scene where they're at like the boardroom and they're like, listen, black sheep child, right. this is for the adults. And then he's like, I brought these seven beasts with me. <laughs> I do. Can I, should I compliment, before I, you know, kind of tear into this movie a little, can I compliment Mark <laughs> Strong now? Why? What? Well, what? Just, did you think his performance was stand out? I think that he is just like up for anything in a ridiculous role. A ridiculous role. Like if this makes a uh, this makes a uh, guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes villain look like something from Wildlife. Like this guy is you know flying around talking to his gargoyles. At one point, he goes to the foster home and Mark Strong with. Just the conviction of a character actor who knows he's about to make a million and a half dollars is like, I like this place. How quaint. No, wait. It's a shithole. <laughs> and in my like seven person screening, I, I was like, what? And people were like mad at me for like laughing at that line. But it's insane the things they ask Mark Strong to do. And I love that, too, that he's, like, in the middle of that monologue and then they just cut away of Zach Levi not being able to hear him. It's nice. But it's almost like, did they tell Mark Strong that this is like going to be a goof? Because I don't think he knew. It, it seems like. I think he went to the screening being like, and, and telling his wife, being like, and I have this great speech towards the, the end. Biggest highlight on those pages. And they cut it up into this dumb montage that's like not quite as mean as Deadpool. Is this movie rated R or PG-13? 13. It was pretty intense for 13, wasn't it? Well, here's my thing with this movie, is that for as light as it ends up being, and like slight spoilers here for Shazam, but like, I don't know, who cares, um, this sort of like Power Ranger thing at the end, the the oh, setup and the plot with the mom are like 80s movie upsetting. It's like Free Willy or The Goonies. Um, or like a like a preteen Gus Van Sant style, like here's just oh, like sure. a, a handsome kid. Who's that like, should be the whole fucking movie. Why if if they cut out the Mark Strong bit and really just had it be, go ahead. One or the other, right? I mean, it, it's way too it's way too upsetting that his mom like did not want him. 
Um, the, the mother got separated from him for like 30 seconds and then saw him holding hands with this cop. And then she's like, well, I'm just going to leave him with the cops because right. I'm like a teenager. Yeah. And then he has this like alternate memory of like a like a nice moment they had together, which was then like reshot as like the horrible bleak truth of her being like, mommy's not a professional, honey, like throwing these darts like an insane person. <laughs> And this dissonance, unfortunately, in tone, I think is proportional with some crazy-ass dissonance between young Billy Batson and Zachary Levi. Because you know who can't play, I was like, you know, abandoned as a child and can't love anyone, is Zachary Levi. (laughs) Yeah, he definitely came from like a very loving Jewish family. Yeah. He calls his mother all the time. And and he's been hitting the gym and he's got the endorphins going. (laughs) He's feeling fine. It's an interesting read that they don't, I think, dig enough into the... I mean, this should have been like the Oliver or something of these kinds of movies. It should be about the foster kids that it attempts to empower with the storyline of family at the end. But like, it spends so much time on Mark Strong... And, like, why shouldn't Mark Strong also be a sympathetic character? Like, what happened to him was his fucking abusive and, like, toxically masculine older brother and father were, like, giving him shit for asking for help in some context, which leads to him then having to make this moral choice about this, like, scary guy asking to, like, touch his staff and say his name. And he's like, I'm going to stay over here with the seven people. Yeah. And then because of that, he's punished into witnessing and having survivor's guilt for an accident that injures both of his, his – he handicaps his father and, like, injures his brother, who then both immediately look at him and go, this is your fault. You did this. Like, why doesn't – that's, like, a Harry Potter-level, like, right. wrong place, wrong time. Like, I didn't mean to, like, please give me a break don't let make me sleep under the stairs kind of bullshit that would make you root for Mark Strong. I thought that was going to be, I was like Shazam, like sees the, his father. I thought the guy with the glasses was going to be Shazam. Of course. That's the fake out. Um, it's a weird move, isn't it? It is. And I just think, I think on a narrative level, I agree with you. And then I just don't quite understand this movie in an industry sense. This movie cost $100 million to make. That feels like way too much. How is this not like a $40 million, 100-minute movie? The fact that this is like 212 and like feels like it has to get into... The other thing about this movie is that it's so fucking anxious. Well, actually, this is it. I found... I, I know the answer to my question. This movie is so anxious that people will not care if it doesn't resemble, like, a sort of DC superhero movie with requisite darkness and does not contain the incessant branding of the DC universe that people won't care. And so it completely, like, fucks up its own, like, moviness a la big. It insists on having these elaborate, violent, explosive, like there's that mall sequence where they're fighting and then they like go through the streets of Philadelphia, which is great use of Philadelphia, though, Definitely. in this movie. Yeah, I like it. And I really appreciated because some of those Marvel movies, it's like, yes, the mean streets of New York and, and New York just looks like Times Square. Right. It's like there are other boroughs. Like I understand the Avengers headquarters is in Midtown, but like, don't you guys venture out at all? 
anyway. Um, Just like on a basic movie level, how if you're going to go with the seven deadly sins, how do you not render them as specific like looks or have like fighting properties to the sins? They're all just gargoyles. So we could take this movie apart all day. There are some things that I think are kind of like undeniable about it, though. The strip club gags are like handled pretty deftly. Trying out the superpowers is plenty fun. Um, yeah, Zachary Levi is 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 fine. Like I think a lot he's of he's not even in that much of this movie. <laughs> right, that's he's true. like only really in action sequences, and at that point he'll just like say something witty, like Zachary Levi's made a career out of doing, you know, and then he'll run off and be a CGI blur for twenty minutes. That's right. Um, you know who's actually really good in this movie um, is Faith Herman, the little girl Darla, his foster She's sister. She's great. And you know who does a so much better job than Zachary Levi being Billy Batson when the transformation happens is that actress who is her when she ages and is like fighting. Oh, Megan Good. And still, yeah, and still saying childish stuff. It's really nicely done. Well, but very precocious child. I mean, it's very hard to play a precocious child like with a 30-year-old woman's body. Yes. She's great. Um, this movie has a big reference in it. He runs across the piano as Mark Strong's destroying that store, right? That's right. I think it's kind of funny that, of course, in this day and age of superhero movies, there is a requisite self-awareness. You can see it in that scene. You can see it in the thing you were talking about earlier, the gag where they're too far apart to hear each other during the uh, climactic monologue. But I feel like this movie is also like weirdly not self-aware in a lot of ways. Like Even though there are yeah. phones, like when is this movie set? Like, everyone's walking right. around like it's 1987. Like I said, it seems like a plot from a movie from 1987. The bullies are like a football player and a punk who hang out together in a big pickup truck. Like Right, which is destroyed for laughs and redemption by the end of this movie. So did anyone put any thought into, like, what this world would be like on a tangible level? Which is what you should do in a would-be small movie. But it's just like right. DC's idea of a small movie is... Is, is what we got here, and it's not small. There's just something vastly superior about the quality of the Marvel narratives to the DC narratives. Like, I just, I mean, this is coming from a place where I, like, just saw uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Did you like where it? Where it's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so brilliantly, good. It's so good. I mean, not only at a visual level, but it's also just on a storytelling level. Like, it manages to check off the box of, like, origin story and like dealing with first villain kind of thing sure but at the same time it's not so tired in the way it plays out and it manages to feel fresh right i think there's the sort of the weighty feeling of inevitability around these central characters and team-ups ought to at least make our side projects feel free feel a real sense of freedom that you right. get in spider-verse that this movie should have had and it only kind of has yeah i mean this movie feels like uh like the han solo movie yes. of like a bigger but like that movie fucking sucked and they like glued darth maul back together <laughs> which was, you had to explain to me on the podcast it was a steel molding he was steel molded back together. No My apologies glue, you crazy to person. the animated series <laughs> upon which that Star Wars canon is built. Um, yeah, I would bet you actually anything that Zachary Levi was probably considered for the role of Han Solo. 
and he would have done anyway. also fine. Okay, so what are we going to say about Shazam? Do you have a rating for this puppy? I don't think it's like a poorly made movie, and I don't think it's like not a good, you know, Saturday, Sunday afternoon movie, which is when I saw it. Uh, so I think it's a soft good good for me mm. with the asterisks of I'm so fucking tired of superhero movies. Would you just for com- the aforementioned reasons? Will you just come down to bad good with me? Like it's fine, but like also, but it's based on a a universe whose rules make no sense at all. It has Jimon Hunsu and Mark Strong yelling about wizards for sixty minutes. Um, it's it's not like we just we just ripped it to pieces, kind of in terms of its like narrative. Yeah, coherence. but that, that like got out all the bad feeling I had about it, you and really now I can good, settle. Good? I think it's a oh yeah, it's a good good. What are the good, I mean, by our te- what are the good system, technical parts of this movie? I mean, I think it has some interesting visual stuff in it. Like uh, what? Name them. All. I don't know. I like the smoke gargoyles. Like that was pretty foreboding. What are you when that's about? Stu- I like the smoke gargoyles. They're like the most boring. I like boring the smoke. I think they've seen. like. I bet you this movie that in the industry they were talking about like the leaps and bounds they've come in like dark smoke. You know, like, have you seen the smoke on Shazam? That's what the smoke people are saying to each other from these VFX teams. Those are some of the most nondescript CGI monsters in recent memory. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you're right. They were kind of Stephen Summersy, a little bulbous for my taste. <laughs> I don't know. I liked the fact that it was sort of cheaper by the dozen dressed up as a superhero movie. And there's something, it's just playing with a lot of things on a narrative level that I found entertaining too. You're just talking about, you were describing a bad, good movie. Join me. Touch the staff, not the ball. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, like Mark Strong's (laughs) character, Dr. Savannah, I am going to listen to the voices in my head and pick the eyeball and say good, good. That's so silly. I, I dare you to listen back to the last 20 minutes and tell me if that was a good, good review you just gave this for me. This is a, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to give it a charitable bad good. Um, yeah, I've said everything. I That's fair. I've I said mean, everything I have to say about Shazam. You have the bully point. pulpit here. You can, yeah. you can say your piece. Anyway, I mean, you know, it's better than Batman versus Superman or Justice League, that's for sure. I kind of liked Batman versus Superman. I was one of the maddest I've ever times I've ever had with you on this show. <laughs> I kind of thought it was interesting. I kind of think that your opinions make no you sense. You remember that weird scene where he's like fighting those yeah, big bugs and then you talked to me and about then it has that nothing like, to do with anything in the bugs. movie? It's tactical It's sort guys. of like when the movie switches to Italian in The Godfather Part 2. <laughs> it's like, how long is this part going to last? Are you Zack Snyder's agent or are you reviewing these movies? I wasn't joking when I said I missed the visual stylings of oh one Zack God. Snyder. Should we make a joke about how you're just a 13-year-old in a 30-year-old's body when you're reviewing DC films? I have in perpetuity been a 75-year-old man trapped in whatever age body I happen to be. You're still living out Issa Rae's little, um, which... I I am the the product of a, a movie that's yet to be made about an old man who gets trapped and has to live his adolescence through however, what age, uh... 
Yeah. It's like a 20 hour movie about a guy who slowly feels comfortable as he nears death. Um, well, thank you for joining us on today's Be Real. Buddy, thanks for uh, doing this pretty fun category with me. It was a it was a hoot. It was a laugh ride. It was. Lucy really appreciated our movies being you know watchable and not unrelentingly dark. There were some crowd pleasers here, I think. Um, yeah. So as always, show some love to our fellow shows on the Playlist Podcast Network. Uh, Indie Beat just put up a show with uh, Micah Khan. We talked about Can You Ever Forgive Me and Triple Frontier recently. Um, Follow us on social media. Check out berealpodcast.com to, to hang out with all the shows. We got some uh, like director interview minis coming up here, but we should be back in your ears soon with uh, what I'm told is a very, very trashy show. Are you excited for that? Oh, yeah. I'm pretty pumped. Are we going to uh, tell the people or no? Yeah, we're dipping our toe into the It might involve you going to see after. Heap. It, it may involve, yeah, anyone seeing After or anyone being dragged there. It feels like it's one of the few romantic movies that's been released this year. So it may get... I, I predict sell. it being bigger than uh, people think. Okay. Uh, buddy, pleasure to talk to you as always. I can't wait till next time. Talk to you soon. <laughs>